How important is the Bible to you? How important is the Bible to us today? What would be lost if we did not have the Bible? Have you ever considered that? And I ask this as, um, as Martin has shared a little bit earlier, because 500 years ago, a German Augustinian monk called Martin Luther hammered up 95 debate points onto the, the gate of Wittenberg Castle. And most historians point to this as sort of a decisive point where the Reformation has really spread. And over the next few weeks, we're going to consider some of these uh, solas. It's the Latin word, just means alone, uh, scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to God's glory alone. These are Reformation truths that really did change the world. I don't think you can understand the history of Scotland or England without understanding the significance of the Reformation. Many of our freedoms as Christians and actually even the very notion of liberty that we have as citizens of this country flow from the Protestant Reformation. And what, even what we're doing today would have been absolutely unthinkable 500 years ago. Let me give you one example. Uh, you're sitting there quite relaxed with an English translation in your hands, aren't you? You didn't worry. You put your hand, yes, I'll have an English translation, please. Give it to me. But 500 years ago, that would have been enough for you to be burnt at the stake. Do you realize this? In this very country, there, there was even instances where um, holding a, a, a sort of a, an English translation of just the Lord's Prayer was sufficient for people to be burnt at the stake. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church of that time ordered that copies of the Bible translated to English should be burnt, and those possessing them should be burnt. Uh, John Wycliffe in the 14th century, uh, a Bible translator who translated the Latin Vulgate into English, and his followers, the Lollards, uh, they, they, they were nicknamed these Lollards. They were brutally suppressed by the Catholic Church. And uh, that sort of just keeps happening all the way up to the time of William Tyndale, one of the greats of the English Reformation, born in 1438 in Gloucestershire. He studied both in Oxford and Cambridge. He was a great linguist. He, he knew Greek, Hebrew, Latin, French, German, Italian, and Spanish. And that's just showing off, isn't it? He came across Luther's writings, and he absolutely delighted in what Luther was teaching from the Scriptures, that we were justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he began to translate these from German into English and spread them around. At that time, the, the Bible was really only distributed in Latin. And only the most educated could, could ever read it for themselves. Erasmus, the Renaissance scholar, uh, the, the, the great cry of the Renaissance was to go back to the sources, and he set himself the task of producing and printing the, uh, a, a Greek New Testament. Well, Wycliffe got hold of this. He was uh, ordained as a priest. He was working as a tutor, teaching, and he absolutely ate up reading this Greek New Testament, and he would teach anyone who would listen what he was learning from the New Testament. But his great passion was that the Bible should be accessible to everyone, not merely the few who could read Latin or Greek. And this was something that the religious authorities feared because it had the potential of undercutting the authority of the 
church and its bishops and its popes because, in truth, many of the traditions that had become part of Catholic dogma are not found in the Bible. The ideas of purgatory, the selling of indulgences to get out of purgatory, penance, the mass, praying for the dead, the, the place of the Pope, none of these are found in the Scriptures. And so a key Reformation doctrine was that the Bible and the Bible alone should be the supreme authority over the life of the Christian and over the life of the church, not the Pope and not any other human leader nor the traditions of the Catholic Church. And that's why, in part, the Catholic Church so brutally suppressed the translation of the Bible into the common languages of the people in Europe. John Fox uh, records one conversation with a leading clergyman in the Diocese of Worcester whose response to Tyndale's reforming ideas was to say this, we had better be without, without God's laws than with the Pope's. He's saying that you know, the, what the Pope has to say is more important than the Bible. To which Tyndale replied this famous quote, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the Scriptures than thou dost, he said to this man. And really that's the task he set about achieving. To produce an English Bible not for the scholar, but for the ordinary person, for plowboys to be able to read. He said, about, he said about the task, he was the first guy to set about the task of translating from the original Greek New Testament into an English that normal people could understand. For his safety, he had to travel to Europe, to Belgium and to Germany, where he also learned Hebrew, so he could translate the Old Testament from their original language into English as well. And the printing press was the major technological uh, thing that transformed, enabled the Reformation to spread across because the Bible could be printed. The, the leaves were smuggled in cloth and smuggled into uh, Britain where they were stitched together and distributed around. Because of his work, he was condemned as a heretic by Cardinal Wolsey. And the Bishop of London, a man called Tunstall, made a great show of trying to find these Bibles and outside one of the churches setting fire to them and thinking he was doing God's work by setting fire to the Word of God in English. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But that's what happened. Tyndale was eventually caught by the authorities after being betrayed by a friend. Be careful who your friends are. And after a heresy trial, he was condemned to be burnt at the stake in Brussels. I make no European comment at this point, but it was Brussels where they burnt him. He was strangled, and then his body was burnt at the stake. His last recorded words was a, was a loud prayer that he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Now, within four years of that prayer, uh, King Henry VIII did grant an English translation the great Bible prepared by Coverdale, which actually largely copied the work that Tyndale did. And that was then largely carried on into the King James Bible, the authorized Bible that uh, so shaped the English language. In fact, people have said that, that Tyndale has done more to shape English language than any other person, even than Shakespeare. So many common expressions you hear today, Tyndale came up with them. 
They were beautifully and poetically and faithfully translated from Scripture. So today, you came into church, you carried an English translation, you didn't think about it, did you? You didn't worry about even holding it. Uh, you put your hand up, said, yes, give me an English Bible. That's amazing. That's unthinkable 500 years ago. Do we realize this? It is totally unthinkable that we should be here today. And we must not forget the privileges that are ours because of reformers like Tyndale and Luther and Knox. So how important is the Bible to us? What would be lost if we did not have the Bible? What was it that motivated Luther and um, Tyndale to put their lives on the line to translate the Bible into the common language of the people that they worked amongst? What motivated them to see that the Bible alone should be the supreme authority over the church and over the life of the Christian? Well, let's turn to the Bible to find out. So please turn to 2 Timothy. Uh, and uh, if you turn uh, to page... 1,195, you'll find 2 Timothy chapter 1. What is this letter? Well, this is the last recorded teachings of the Apostle Paul, who was conscious that his death was not far off. He's writing to Timothy, a ministry apprentice, who'd become like a dear son to the Apostle. And uh, Paul's passionate concern is to urge Timothy to give himself to preach and proclaim the same gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it would mean for him shame and suffering. Because then, as today, there are many who would proclaim to be Christians and yet be distorting the apostolic teaching. To turn the Christian ministry into a way of getting rich, exploiting gullible people, and also... Um, just want to sort of say, well, you know, it, it's not what it says. Who want to promote a new morality, a new theology. There's always people who proclaim to be Christians who do that in every generation. It was just like that, even as Paul was finishing up his life. And so look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Paul says to Timothy. Guard it. Now what does Timothy need to help him stay the course, to fight the good fight? Well, let's turn over to uh, chapter 3. I'm just going to read from verses 10 to 17. Page 1196 in the Church Bibles. Chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, in the persecutions I endured, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, re, uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. So his mentor, his friend, the Apostle Paul, will be gone soon. What does he need to stay the course? The Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Verse 14, But as for you, in contrast to all the false teachers, continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learnt it. Paul is urging Timothy just to keep going. Keep going at all the things he had learnt from the Apostle Paul. All that he knew from the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, the other apostles who had witnessed his life and death and resurrection, all that we have recorded in the New Testament. There are many places in the New Testament where it just shows us that they understood that as they're writing these books, that it's in the same place, the same authority as the Hebrew Scriptures. And he urges him also to continue in the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures the Old Testament that we have today, the Holy Scriptures that have been taught to him, not only by Paul, but by his own mother and grandmother. From infancy, he'd been taught these Scriptures. And what makes the Bible so special? There's just two things I want us to focus on this morning. Two fundamental points from these verses. Firstly, its origin. Secondly, its purpose. Its origin, where does it come from? Its purpose, what is it intended for? So let's just think about its origin. Verse 16 gives this stunning description of what the Bible is. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now each bit of the Bible was written by a person, a human author. But as it says in 2 Peter, these men spoke from God, driven along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they wrote uh, inspired by the Spirit so that what they wrote originates from God. That's the claim of Scripture for itself. That this is God's breathed out words through human authors, which makes this a very personal communication and revelation from God for us. Just think about the act of communication this morning. We don't think about this, but uh, there's some ideas in my head. It's unbelievable that they are there. Uh, the synapses do fire up occasionally. And, and that gets communicated to muscles in my chest that cause my lungs to uh, squeeze and breath comes out over my, uh, there's little cords in my larynx that kind of go fat and thin and they get pushed past my larynx and past my tongue and my lips and you hear words on my breath. And my breath is going into your ears and to your mind. 
That's how personal this communication is. Well, this is the claim of Scripture. That uh, in a very personal way, God is breathing his words to us through the Scriptures. And because of who God is, that he is the eternal and unchanging God, the Bible is not just God breathed in the past. Did you notice that? Yes, he communicated to those who wrote it down. But the Bible is God-breathed now. Because it doesn't just say all Scripture was God-breathed, but all Scripture is God-breathed. And so as we read the Bible, it is God's breathed out word for us today. It's stunning. Who is it that's speaking to us? The living God. Who created everything out of nothing. The holy and righteous king of the universe. To whom everything belongs. Because he made it. And so to say it a very understated way. What the Bible has to say is massively important. Isn't it? It comes with all the authority of God himself. So that to disregard the Bible. To disobey the Bible. Actually I am disregarding and disobeying God himself and so it must be the supreme authority over our lives if these are God's breathed out words then the black ink recorded uh, is an objective revelation of God it's something that has a greater authority than my subjective experiences which can go up and down depending on what I've eaten last night it, it, it has a, a supreme authority over my limited reasoning. Even the smartest brains are struggling to understand the complexity of this universe, and there is a God who made it all. And it must be supreme over the traditions that have been added since the Bible was finished. And this is what drove Tyndale and Luther to translate the Bible into native languages, because they're people needed to hear the living God speak to them. They needed it in their hands so they would have a chance to trust this God by hearing what he has to say directly. And what is astounding today is that this, the greatest book, the most published book of all history, is perhaps the most ignored book in Scotland today. There are so many English translations and people are so ignorant about what it says. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Do you want a personal relationship with the living God who made you? Get a Bible. Start reading it. Uh, I think you can buy one from the bookstore. If you've got no money, we'll, we'll get you one. But be warned. This is the most radical and life-transforming book you will ever read. Because as you read it, you will encounter the living God who speaks through it. That's its origin. That's the claim of the Bible. What of its purpose? Well, two amazing purposes are in these verses. Verse 15, it makes us wise for salvation. Verse 17, it thoroughly equips us for every good work. 
to incredible purposes. When you understand this, then you will say, take all my, all, every other book from me, but don't take away my Bible. This is the one essential book. This is the one thing I must not be without. Look at its essential purpose, verse 15. Continue in what you've learned, how you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. If I was gifted like Nina Conti as a ventriloquist, I would say, what do you do, Bible? And without moving my lips, I would say, I make you wise for salvation. That's the job description of this book. This is a book that will save us. This is a book about rescue. It'll help you be saved both now and for all eternity. That's what this book is for. How does it do this? By teaching us about how to put our trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures, verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible helps me understand the world around me. It helps me understand why it's such a messed up world, why it's so broken. It tells me why it's a beautiful world and why it's a broken world. It tells me about how we've rejected our creator God and, and rebelled against him who's basically given us everything that we have. It tells me how utterly lost and wicked I am. More wicked than I ever realize. It tells me how morally bankrupt I am, how I'm actually spiritually dead, and I'm without any hope of saving myself. But the joy of the Bible is this. It tells me about a loving God who's come and had mercy and compassion on a lost, rebellious world. And he sent his one and only son that if we put our trust in him, he who willingly paid the price for all our rebellion and sin by dying on our cross, if we put our trust in him, he will forgive us and cleanse us. He'll give us his Holy Spirit to begin to give us new life and change us from the inside out. He will connect us to Christ so that we can have hope in this life and for all eternity and the new life that is to come. That's what this book will do. The Old Testament pointing me forward to the coming of this Messiah King. The New Testament uh, proclaiming all his glories, all his excellencies, all that he did, all that he is for us that this is the Savior that we can trust. Take every other book away, but do not take this book. This is a book of salvation. It's also a book that will thoroughly equip me for every good work. It's like a school that teaches us to be lifelong learners. It's like a loving home that uh, loves me enough to rebuke me. And to discipline me when I head off track. It's like a rehab center that corrects me and, and it helps me to get back on track. It's like a sports coach that's going to train me to keep enduring and to win the prize, to keep trusting Christ to the very end. This is what the Bible asserts about itself. And millions down to the centuries have found that this is completely true in their own experience. My Christian friends, 
Don't be casual about this. This is dynamite. Um, if we really believed what the Bible says about itself, would we be not making sure that we're sharing it with people? Saying to our neighbors and friends, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, but would you like to read the Bible with me? We find ways to share the truth with people. Let them read it. Let them come to know God. Uh, you know, I, I think we're very bashful, but I think it'd be great if we, even after church when we have coffee, if we had the courage to say, okay, say to each other occasionally, what's God been saying to you through the Bible this week? And then talk to each other about the Scriptures. We, we almost talk about everything else. But if we really believe that, 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 that speaking the truth in love will build up and edify this church, we will be speaking this word to each other. It will not be an unfamiliar thing that we do this. Of course, we do it in our growth groups. Of course, we do it in our Sunday school. Of course, every time we gather, uh, we come to hear it read and preached and have the opportunity to respond to the living God who's amongst us. But my friends, let's make use of this. It thoroughly equips us. We do not need any new revelation from God than he's already given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need any more prophecies. I don't need any more prophets. I don't need any more traditions, adding extra teaching on top of what I have in God's Word. It is the supreme authority from God. It trumps all other authorities in our lives. It is all I need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Throw away every other manual. This is the manual you need. When Martin Luther was asked what was it that caused the massive changes of the Reformation across Europe, he explained it this way. I opposed indulgences and all the papists but never with force. I simply taught and preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with Philip and Amsdorf, his pals, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. What's its origin? Ultimately divine. It's God breathed. What's its purpose? It makes us wise for salvation. It points us to put our trust in Jesus Christ and it equips us for every good work. So how important is the Bible to you? I started sharing um, the history of how people have paid in their own blood so that we would have the privilege of an English translation in our hands. We've also seen from, from the Bible how vital uh, the Bible is for every one of us. Do you see what is lost if we don't have the Bible? What's lost? A true relationship with the living God is lost if I don't have the Bible. 
Without the Bible, I will remain in the dark about how to be saved. I won't know how to put my trust and how to follow Jesus. I'll not be equipped to live a useful life for God's glory. Do you have a Bible? If you don't have one, we can make sure you get one today. Just ask. Do you have one? When are you going to read it this week? Do you need some help reading it? We've got people here who'd be delighted to help you. Just get together, have a coffee, have a cup of tea, and just simply read the Bible with you and be willing to answer any questions that you've got. My friends, we can relate to the living God through these scriptures. What's he going to teach us this week? How exciting to go into this week with the living God and his words to trust the Savior to live for his glory.